Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. I'm going to invite you to go with me on a bit of a sacred imaginary journey. We're going to go back some 2,000 years to a little town called Bethlehem. Well, when we arrive in Bethlehem, it is not only the end of the day, it is deep into the night. We've been traveling all day and we are tremendously tired. We come up to the door of an inn. We knock on that door. The innkeeper comes rubbing his fist into his sleepy eyes. Yes, he says, what can I do for you? And we say, sir, we are tired. We've been traveling. We are bone weary. We would like some accommodations for the night. And he says, but I'm sorry, everything is gone. You're aware of the taxation and the census and all of the facilities are occupied. But sir, we plead, isn't there anything that you can do for us? Anything at all, anywhere? And he turns to us and he says, well, the last couple that were here, a man and his wife, and she was heavy with child. I, I couldn't turn them away either, and I sent them around to the stable. And Well, if you want to go around to the stable, that's up to you. Well, we find our way to the rear of the inn, and there down in the back basement into the cave that is carved out of the rock, we, we reach out our hand forward and we take hold of the latch, and we lift it, and we open the door, and when we do, there's this odor that comes out of the stable, the odor of perspiring animals, the odor of fresh manure, and instantly we close the door. Are we sure this is where we want to spend the night? But the fatigue of our bodies overcomes the reluctance of our nose, and we open the door and we step in over the threshold. As our eyes become accustomed to the dark, we look into the stable and we see a man standing over a manger. Now, not wanting to disturb this couple, the ones that had arrived ahead of ourselves, we walk up quietly to the side of the man and see that he is looking into the hay. His wife is lying in the hay, just having given birth to a baby boy. We look over the edge of the manger and look at the baby. He doesn't look different than any other baby that we have ever seen. He's just a tiny, tiny, helpless little baby. He's not at all like the pictures that we would have seen in the imagination of the artist with a halo around his head. And we look down and we're shocked just at how helpless he looks. Now, may I take a little liberty with scripture and yet without doing violence, I trust. Our, our eyes have become accustomed to the darkness and we notice that we are not alone. There are other men who are standing there. There are three. And we notice this, these men, and well, they are men of obvious wealth the light of intelligence in their eyes and, 
and their very being seems to give us the impression that they are men of prestige and men of power. But these men do the strangest thing. They kneel down there in the dirt of the stable floor with all of their finery disregarded, with all of their prestige and power and influence, they kneel in the dirt of the stable floor and they worship that tiny little baby. We join them in the act of worship. You see, in this experience in Bethlehem, we have the centrality of the truth of the Christian faith, that God in the person of his son came into the world and he humbled himself. A humility, or if I may use the word humiliation, that began there in Bethlehem and ended at Calvary. What a contrast there is between the helplessness of this little baby and the God who said, let there be light, and the light obeyed his will. The God who, as he spoke, it was done, as he commanded, it stood fast. What a contrast between that little baby and a God with such power that he could fling the planets into their orbit and put constellations in all of their massive, indescribable size into their place. What a contrast between the God of the great universe and the helplessness of this little baby in Bethlehem's manger. But there's more involved here, my friends, than a problem in physiology. There is the reality of Scripture that here in that baby is God himself. That this is the birth into our world of an already pre-existent person. When you read the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16, here's what we read. Beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on into the world, taken up in glory. In other words, the apostle is saying that there's not the slightest argument, no argument at all. It is beyond question. Great is the mystery of godliness. You see, in the Bible, mystery is not something that you understand on the last page. A Bible mystery is something which no man is able to understand. It is absolutely incomprehensible to the human mind. The apostle says in the priority of his mind, the most mysterious thing about the gospel was how he could be manifest in flesh. The apostle Paul says he gave this top priority. And he says, he did it for you, 
He did it for me. He did that. I can't understand how. I cannot. Here was the God who made the world, for he was in the world, in the world that was made by him. You read in 1 John uh, chapter 1 and in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. The God who made the world had now allowed himself by his own sovereign decision, he had allowed himself to be captured within the material of his own creation. And he did that for you. He did that for me. The Apostle Paul discusses this subject as best as his human limitations would allow. And I'd like to share with you what he said there in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, and in verse 5, we read, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, he would say in modern language today, think like Christ. Let this mind be in you. Think like him. Think like he thinks. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. His equality with the Father the apostle says, was not something to be forcefully retained. Jesus let go of that equality. Let me read on. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if you analyze this passage carefully, you see all of the steps of coming down and down and down and down. That the equality that the Son of God shared with the Father, he laid that down and he became a man. But not a man in a palace with a position of power and prestige and the admiration that the world would give, but a servant man. And in this servant man, he became of no reputation. He died even unto death. And not an ordinary death, but the death of a cross. You see, Paul was consistently amazed at what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to become a man. The fact that he gave up so much. The fact that he gave up so much. He now has the right to ask you and I to give up something. And we have no right in the light of Bethlehem's star. We have no right to refuse. Jesus took that all away. He did it in the stench of a stable. 
Now, may I share something precious with you? That if you only take this, these next two sentences, then I hope the program will be worth your time and mine. Jesus was not half God and half man. He was just as much a man as if he were not God at all. And he was just as much God if he were not at all a man. He was God with us. Emmanuel. Now let's just very quickly discuss reverently the personality of our Lord. We think of God having all knowledge that he is omniscient. He knows everything, but yet there were things that Jesus did not know. You know, Jesus spoke of his own return, and he said, of that day and hour, no one knows, not the Son, but the Father only. There were things that Jesus didn't know. There at his birth in Bethlehem, he didn't know any more than any other baby ever born. His little mind and the cells of that mind, which take the input of instruction and learning and experience. He had no instruction. He had no learning. He had no experience. His little baby mind was blank because yours and mine are blank when we were born. And I begin to think of Jesus as he grew. The scripture says that he grew in favor with God and man in the normal process of human growth. His first teacher was his mother, his mother Mary. And I can see her, I can picture her, her holding him on her knee and, and telling him the story of how the Lord and two angels came down at the time and visited with Abraham under the oak trees at Mamre and there in Genesis chapter 18. But Jesus did not remember that it was he who had visited with Abraham under the oak tree. There was a day in which she told him how God came down on the top of Mount Sinai and visited with Moses and how God wrote upon tables of stone with his own finger the Ten Commandments. But he did not remember that it was he who had talked with Moses, that it was he who wrote upon the tables of stone, that the God of all the earth, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the lawgiver, the creator and the redeemer. He's everything to us. But young Jesus did not remember that. We know through the scriptures that at the age of 12, he went to Jerusalem and there he discusses theology with the doctors of the law in the temple. You recall that he was lost to Mary and Joseph for three days at the Passover scene. This was his first Passover at Jerusalem. And as he saw the quivering lambs up on the altar, he saw in those lambs himself and he knew his mission in in John chapter 12, in verse 27, he said, 
Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Or in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know that at age 30, at the time of his baptism, that the skies were opened. And, and when Jesus came up out of the water, we heard what is written in Luke chapter 3 and in verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You see, up until this time, Jesus' knowledge of his own identity was based upon human communication and upon the implications that he himself found in Scripture. But to begin his ministry with the power and with the assurance of his own personality, we are told that the Father opened the skies and spoke and gave to the Son the assurance of his own identity. You are my Son. And in this way, Jesus could go forth with power and with conviction. Now you will recall that soon after his baptism, he went into the wilderness and there he fasted for 40 days, at the end of which he was tempted by the devil. Now, one of these temptations was the temptation to take this stone and make it into bread. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, oftentimes we become so occupied with the possibility of the miracle of the transformation of the stone to bread that we forget that underneath it all, there is an underlying problem of deeper theological significance. You see, the tempter said, if you are the son of God, prove it to yourself who you really are. Well, this is exactly what Jesus must not do. Why? Because 40 days before, God the Father hath spoken, you are my son. And he must not prove to himself by any manner or any means because the Father had already spoken. You see, folks, if we are God's children, when the Father speaks, that settles it, and that's exactly the way Jesus lived. He lived by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And those words that had come out of the mouth of God were, you are my son. Jesus lived by faith in the Father's word, even as you and I must live by faith in the Father's word. What he knew about himself was not by recollection, 
It was by instruction. He lived every day as you and I must live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the second person of the Godhead becoming a man, he gave up those qualities that, that we think essential to being God. He gave up his knowledge because man did not need a demonstration of knowledge. He gave up his power because man did not need a demonstration of power. The thing that he brought was a demonstration of character because this was where man had failed. Jesus came in the beauty of God's character because what man needed was a demonstration of love. And this is exactly what he brought. And this is what he gave in fullness. Now let me share with you a precious idea that that in becoming a man, God has changed. He has become something that he was not before he came here. And because he changed, he has the right to ask you and me to change because he changed. Once again, we have no right to tell him no, not in the light of what happened at Bethlehem. What were the reasons why he came here and did what he did in becoming a man? Sometimes we get this naive idea that it was only to make possible some beautiful Christmas carols that are so nice and the children love to sing, a holy myth, a story to be told that will touch the children's hearts once a year. Now, I used to have some thinking that there were certainly a thousand other ways that God could have used to have redeemed man, but that is not the case. There was only one way that God could redeem a fallen humanity. God must become a man. For this reason, the apostle could say and speak with such eloquence about the unspeakable gift of God in the person of his son, that there are not words to describe it. You see, friends, all you and I can do right now, all we can do is do like those wise men, fall upon our knees and say, Lord, I give you as best I know how. I give my unworthy self to you now. Shall we pray? Our gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, the gift of eternal life made possible through the life, the death, and the resurrection of your Son. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have life eternal. Father, if there's anyone within the reach of my voice now that has not accepted the gift of Jesus, may they do so now and inherit life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we've come to that time in our program that we refer to as the book offer. On each and every program, we like to make a resource available to you, something that you can further enhance your understanding of God's will for your life. And today, uh, we have a little booklet. I'm not sure we've ever offered it before. We're always trying to find new resources out there. It's called A Gift of Light. Uh, we'd love to send this to you as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. There's no cost or no obligation whatsoever on your part. If you'd like to receive this little book, then pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living Television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us and we appreciate that very, very much. And hey, let your friends and family know uh, when we're on, what time, so that maybe they can join us also. Um, to facilitate that, you can always refer them to our website, l4ltv.com. All of our previous programs are accessible through the website. On the website, you'll also find live appearances where I may be appearing live. There's a section called Archived Sermons where different presentations that I've done in different places around the world. There's a uh, new set of messages there under the label of Prophecy Today. That was some, some messages that I delivered in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, check those out. While on the website, you can also visit the page that says Donate Today. We are a charitable organization, so any dollar that you donate, we will provide you with a receipt for income tax purposes. Social media, follow me on Instagram. Every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, we put out a one-minute devotional video. Great way to start your day. Like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our SoundCloud page, follow me on, on Twitter. And so this way, we can stay connected uh, in between broadcasts. Uh, one other thing, I want to refer you to another website, which is the missionnowcanada.com website. That's the part of our ministry that does overseas humanitarian work. Check out missionnowcanada.com. You'll see when we have our next scheduled mission trip. Maybe you'd like to join us or maybe you'd like to make a donation that would be utilized in one of those humanitarian projects. So lots of things going on, lots of ways we can stay connected in between broadcasts. I hope you will check those all out. Hey, we're running out of time and I wanna thank you again for joining us. And just before we go, let me just wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. 
All the best to you and blessings from God that you stay safe and happy and prosperous. We'll see you back here again next time. God bless you.